Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Svartup Bundesliga podcast, your home for everything Svartup Bundesliga. Another massive weekend of action is in the books, nine match days down and still plenty of football to come. The weekend really uh, produced some wonderful football, tons of goals, some surprises and even the status quo. Joining the podcast once again my co-host Eva Lotte Bowler. Eva welcome yeah good morning um I don't know what to say football for me still sucks but I'm happy that for other people it doesn't that much <laughs> football is great as a neutral as we know all football clubs do is hurt you and Yep, uh, we we are living proof of what is uh, what is happening. But we're not here to talk about our miserable football clubs. We're here to talk about the best league in the world, the Svartup Bundesliga. And to help us do that uh, for this week's episode is Svartup Bundesliga experts and potentially maybe Osnabrück sympathizer, Louis Ostrovsky. <laughs> Louis, how are you today? Hello. Yeah, I'm. Well, I'm looking forward to this. It's been quite a lot of interesting games in the Zweiter Liga and quite a lot of fun so yeah I'm, I'm excited to be on. We are excited to have you on Lewis and to start proceedings uh, we are going to head to Franconia the Frankenland derby between Nuremberg and Greuther Fürth. Uh, as per usual the bragging rights of Franconia heavily contested and it shall for another few months, remain green as Greuther Fürth take a 3-2 win over Nuremberg at the Max Morlock Stadion. And they didn't waste any time for the second consecutive week. Fürth scored within the opening three minutes. This time it was Harvard Nielsen who opened the scoring. He would score a brace in this game, uh, getting his second goal just before half-time. Manuel Schaeffler got on the score sheet once again. He now has five goals in the season, uh, as does the man who, who made it 3-1 Branimir Hergerter, the third captain, and then Nikola Dovidan got a goal back, and Nuremberg pressed and pressed and pressed for the final 15 minutes, but they were unable to get the goal. Um, Eva, there are a number of teams that we're going to be talking about that are, well, certain media outlets may say crisis. It's been a bit of an up-and-down stretch for Nuremberg. They were good last week against uh, Osnabrück. Was there more on the table for them? Because... Certainly, once they got the 3-2, it certainly seemed game on. Yeah, but I think the problem was, as you've mentioned, the early goal, goal sorry, my feared. Um, I think I thought, in my opinion, the only really way they got into the game was probably the last 10 minutes of the whole game. I mean... Um, the the chef logo put them back into the game but after that they were like okay back to square one and um that was probably the biggest mistakes because i thought that food always had that upper hand throughout the game maybe um 
especially after um, Julian Green hit the post twice, you always had the feeling that Food is much more nearer in scoring a fourth or fifth goal than Nuremberg is uh, to scoring an equaliser or at least get one goal back. Um, and I thought in the end it was just a bit too less. I mean, we've seen that they're pretty good in scoring goals on last week against Osnabrück. Um, but they they do need to create a bit more chances. I thought that uh, Robin Haag did a brilliant job before the equaliser. He put his body in, in the tackle quite well and then saw Manu Scheffler quite good. But um, if you look at the second goal, it's that ball went in more because um, Hansa Pai yeah, slipped on the ball, slipped on the field and then... Dovedan could use that so it wasn't really like own potential you could say and I really missed that throughout that game so I did thought or I did think that it was a deserved win for Fjord Yeah I mean excluding that mistake which wasn't even the worst of the weekend um, you know Fjord carry on and, and, and Lewis what it means is that they've, they've won their last five games uh, considering they you know were winless in their opening four and they are top of the side of Bundesliga for the first time this season. They become uh, the second team, not named Hamburg, to be top. Our were top at the end of match day one. Um, what was the? Ca- this was a game you did watch. What was the catalyst for Furt's, um, you know, Frankenland win? What did they do to ensure uh, that Nuremberg couldn't be as dangerous going forward? Uh, well, I think obviously they started really well because I mean they've got. Nielsen and Hogota up front, and they just combined so well. Uh, the first goal came from just a, a goal kick. Hogota brought it down and, and set Nielsen in. I didn't think Furt were particularly impressive defensively, especially with the Zarpai mistake. But they also could have uh, gone a few more goals ahead because just after they'd made it 3 1, uh, Green hit the uh, the woodwork twice. One of them would have been a really good goal if he'd scored from outside the box. But yeah, they they didn't impress me as much after the 3-1 because they didn't really create many chances after that. And Nuremberg didn't have many clear chances other than the goal, which was the slip from Sarpai. But they did have a fair few shots. Uh, I just think... For, it's a really well put together team because uh, in those last five games they've won, they've played the exact same team in every single game, and the they just like know where each other are and they combine so well together. The, the third goal as well with uh, Hergoto, it was just really good um, run from Nielsen and a pass from I think Ernst to send him in. So that's. I think what's what's making the the difference for Furt, they've got their team, they're sticking with it, and it it's a good team that works well together. So there's no need to change it. Yeah, you definitely don't change the winning formula, and yeah, top of the table. Who would have thought? Um, let's talk about the team that was top of the table, and uh, I promise you, it's not you're not experiencing, you know this sort of sensation where it was going to be different. Uh, there may be more goals in this game, but the result was much the same. Uh, the trip to Heidenheim, uh, eerily similar as 
Hamburg would go and lose, although the scoreboard this time read three goals to two. Uh, Hamburg's goal scorers were Sonny Kittel and Tony, Tony Leisner. So after 25 minutes, 2-0 up, cruising what seems to a relatively um, easy win against the Heidenheim side that has been a bit so-so. Um, but they didn't encounter one Christian Kuhlwetter who is on an absolute tear. Um, he scored all three goals. And of course, the third goal, his hat-trick, was an absolute gift. Sven Ulreich's heavy touch. Uh, straight into the path of Kulvetter, who made it three. Game over. Heidenheim take three points. Hamburg dropping all the way down to third. We'll talk about who replaced them uh, in a moment. But, um, Lewis, this is a massive result for both parties. We talk about Heidenheim, a team that has been sluggish. They've struggled quite a lot. But it seems that Kulvetter in particular has been a diamond in the rough for them. Yeah, and they have still been pretty solid at home. Uh, and Kulvetta is a typical Heidenheim signing, really. A guy who's done reasonably well at a lower level and then they put him into the second division. You don't expect too much and he just goes on an absolute tear and replaces quite nicely the guy who everyone thought they were going to miss in uh, Kleindienst. But, I mean, honestly, Heidenheim could have won by more because they had quite a lot of chances in the second half. Hamburg, after after they scored the second goal, Hamburg just didn't do anything at all going forward. I, I think they didn't have... I think they had two shots in the second half, and they were both in the last five minutes, and they were both off target. Um, it, it, even Simon Terodde didn't, I think, have one chance, which was a difficult one. I don't know what's going on with, with Hamburg... But Heidenheim seemingly defended quite well as well, at least after those two goals. And yeah, they they had a lot of chances. Kuhlwetter did very well. The less said, the better about Hamburg's defending because the defensive line and the, the back three or back four, what exactly it was, I don't know. They were just all over the place. But sometimes you don't get the goal and sometimes... Sven Rush slips and takes a poor touch with the goal kick, and that was the difference in the end. But I think Heidenheim deserved to win anyway. Yeah, I think so too. And and you made a great point of just kind of how Hamburg put the cue in the rack after going two goals up, feeling it was job done. And um, yeah, I think mean, the last time they went there, as you know. It was route one to goal and, and, and Heidenheim scoring a winner. That was to help Heidenheim get into the relegation playoff spot. Um, but yeah, it's a horror It's a horror result in that either it, it's, it's really underlying the issues that Hamburg is starting to have. It's these old habits that are starting to creep in. And obviously the media is having a field day calling it crisis. You know, they are still in the top three. Um, as they were last season and the year before that. And then, you know, there's a real element of deja, you know, almost deja vu, but it's just, it's hard to put it because it's a game that they had comfortably and then they just let it slip away. 
Yeah, the funny thing is, uh, before that game, I wrote to a friend of mine who is an HSV fan, oh, this is the game where you can get uh, revenge against Heidenheim. And she was like, yeah, we'll see. And after that, I was like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, probably. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you both on this on this game. Um, what kind of surprises me a bit that, uh, that Heidenheim only had... Um, around only completed around 181 passes compared to Hamburg at 399 um and if you look at the statistics in general for that match day normally the team that has under 200 pa- completed passes um and a passing accuracy around like 64 65% was the team that lost and not only by a bit but, but a couple of goals um so that kind of shows that weird story of that game. Um, I wouldn't put or wouldn't emphasis on that crisis because I still think that Hamburg is more stable than they were last year. And I mean, the difference to to last year is that they've already won five games. And I mean, of course, they now lost two games in a row. But in my opinion, that is not worrying me too much of course if you if you compare it to Bielefeld for example I know that's quite easy from my point of view but they only lost two games in 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 the season in general but that this year is a bit um a bit weird in general and I do think that Hamburg isn't this is this automatically means they're going to be um like fourth again because we've seen that it doesn't matter how they start into the season what matters more or most is how they how they perform in the second half of the season so they have to learn a bit they, they still have a team that has a lot of new characters in it. I'm still, I still do think that um, Manuel Winsheimer is a very good completion to them. I think that he's learned a lot in Bochum. He can be a key player in the future. They just have been a bit unlucky in that game, um, and there will be better times for them again. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of first saying they have an amazing start to the season, then they have one draw and then two losses and now they're not going to be promoted at all again do not really like that kind of uh journalism style yeah it is the classic low-hanging fruit operation that uh if it's uh if it's easy to produce then go do it and that's an, kind of unfortunately how print media and 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 yeah so we'll see let's let's give it time they play Hanover next week at home, and we'll talk about Hanover in the next section uh, because there is a team that we should definitely talk about, and that is Fortuna Dusseldorf, who, well, were really the 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 makers of their own undoing in this one. Five goals to nil. They were pumped on a cold, wintry, miserable night in Borkham, and that's just how they like it. Uh, it really the game turned on its head pretty quickly when uh, Christopher Patterson was sent off for a red, you know, a very clumsy, clumsy foul on Simon Sola. Danny Blum scoring from the spot. And although the game kind of petered out heading into half time, 
Um, it was Borkham's second half where they just went bang, 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 bang. Robert Tesha from set piece. Robert Jules getting a brace within a couple of minutes and Milos Pantovic getting a goal as well. And uh, either what it means is that Borkham uh, are now second in the Swider Bundesliga table. And, you know, even though they played a game, a team with 10 men, that's the kind of Borkham that you want to see a team that is on it and a team that understands the situation. And and it was almost unlike a, 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 a Borkham performance because normally they would make it very hard for themselves, but in this case, they didn't. Would totally agree. I wasn't overall impressed by the by the first half. They didn't use their chances very well. After that, um, thinking about that that Danny Bloom shot, um, around thirty minutes or so. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I really liked the second half in general. Um, I mean, Fortuna Düsseldorf did not have a single shot on target. I think uh, Edgar Pripp was probably was two shots on goal, the most dangerous player, and he had the best opportunities, which does say a lot. And um, yes, as I said, especially the second half, thought that uh, Danny Bloom and Robert Jewell both had fantastic days yesterday. And I mean, for Dusseldorf, I think um, they have four red cards, six penalties, given against them um, most of those red cards came in the second half especially in the last 10 minutes but I would say that this is normally more a thing that you see in in, in teams that got promoted like that they are very unclever in their way of playing and we still have Fortuna Düsseldorf they, they have been in a Bundesliga side the past two years and I do I, I say it every week I do expect more of them um, I mean that as you mentioned, that red card was so, so stupid and it was so clear that he's going to be sent off for that and especially if you do it that early. I mean, a goal isn't better, but at that stage, you must expect it's going to be a red card and a penalty and that does more damage to your team than if you got a goal against yourself but are still up to 11 men. And yeah, I... I thought, as you've mentioned, Bochum had some problems when there were um, one player more on the field. I think, for example, against Auer, um, they couldn't really show that dominance on the field. I did like that in that game. Um, was much better. And this time they used, especially in the second half, compared, for example, to the St. Pauli game as well, they, they used all their chances. They really made clear, okay, this is this is our game. And you could just see it in the way they were playing and showing their dominance. Um, and yeah, I was really impressed by that performance. Yeah, it was a high-quality effort, especially the second half. And you look at a player like Robert Jules, who um, after being dropped before the international break, he's been on an absolute tear. Um, it would be a miss of us to not talk about Dusseldorf, Lewis, and whew, it's hard in most in any circumstance to to play 85 plus minutes with 10 men um but what was probably evident if anything was the just the lack of ability to even penetrate Borkham's defensive third they lack pace out wide defensively they've been trump they've really struggled and 
you know, where 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 do they go from here? You look at, you know, the teams that have gone went down last season, and you know, Dusseldorf just look all at sea. What what do you think the main reason behind that is? Um, I think well, I think we've got to start by asking questions of the the coach Juve Rosler, but also the squad is just bizarre because there isn't a single creative player in there really and I think that the team on the Monday night was weird because even though they had a man less they they still had two up front in Hennings and Caravan who were both good players but they, they didn't get into the game at all because uh, you know Dusseldorf only had I think 28% of the ball and then you, you use two strikers who are both high up the pitch they're not going to be able to do anything. But yeah, they have been really disappointing. And I think most of their chances they've had this season have come from um, corners and free kicks. Otherwise, I just can't see them create many chances because there's just no one who's doing it. They've got um, some guys like Barello and Pledor and Caraman who should maybe be a bit more creative than they have been so far. But They've lost, you know, guys like Eric Tommy, who they had last season, who's really good. Guys like Ihan, who could create from out the back, and they haven't replaced them really. It's just, I don't know what they were expecting, but they haven't made that squad any better, and they haven't fixed any of the weaknesses. Agreed. I mean, you look at their transfer window, and you know they they lost 16 players either returning back to their parent clubs or leaving the club uh, and four players were dropped to the uh, the Svai team um, and the players they've brought in at the moment haven't really worked out and it's a team that lacks identity and really any sort of creativity and you look at the three games they've won this season, they've won them 1-0, and you'd argue they haven't really been clinical or even dominant enough to, to, to warrant those victories. So, worrying times for Dusseldorf and a team that we will all be watching with uh, invested interest. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we'll look at another team that is struggling. That's Hanover, when they hosted Holstein Kiel. A team that is very much struggling, as mentioned on the outro, uh, heading into this section is Hanover. And uh, if there was a, a game they really needed to turn things around, it was this one. They hosted Holstein Kiel, but um, things really didn't go to plan. Three goals to nil for the visitors, and they did it in quick span. Three goals in the space of five minutes, and it was curtains for Hanover once again. It means that Hanover are now in 14th place. And they have a negative goal difference as well. Whilst Kiel, they get themselves back into the top five. Goals from Alexander Muling, uh, which is becoming a common practice. Muling from the spot. A Dominic Kaiser own goal, which was celebrated by Fabian Reza. Not sure what he was trying to claim. And Yanni Serra getting on the score sheet as well. His third for the season. And uh, Lewis, this was really a, a classic case of, you know, Hanover who started relatively well they are just all over the place and it's really hard to pinpoint where what areas they're really failing in because you could argue it's it's a mess all over 
Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a weird game because they had some really good chances in the first half uh, with Marvin Dutch mainly, yeah. and he didn't take any of them. And there was one good save from Gelios, but otherwise he didn't cause him much trouble and neither did anybody else. And then after the the first goal, uh, it was a, a penalty and it was a handball, I think, from Follette, which was just a ridiculous handball. It's one of those that was a handball even in the pre-VAR days. It's, there's no excuse. It was just really stupid. And then after that, they completely collapsed because the next two goals came in about five minutes. It was pretty much straight from kickoff the Kaiser own goal after I think Jacob Bijol, who's usually looked pretty good, headed it backwards past his own defender and sent Riza in. And then Yanni Serra's goal was pretty good, the, the third goal. He wasn't exactly marked, but it was a, a nice pass and a nice finish. So that's Keel back in the, the top four, I think. Um, after I think that was their first win of the month as well, because they had gone three or four games where they hadn't done so well. But Hanover have lost three of their last four. They hadn't lost at home, and now they have. And even worse, Martin Kins spoke in the last week or so about we still have faith in Ken and Kochak, which usually means, yeah, he's under a bit of pressure. Um, and they have some difficult games coming up as well, I think. They've got Hamburg, then Heidenheim away, and then somebody else quite tough after that so it's difficult and they're going to need to improve pretty quickly if Kochak's going to keep his job I think 100% nothing like the uh, the old-fashioned kiss of death from the uh, the head honcho that game that third game Lewis you're talking about is Borkham at home um, and then they end with Regensburg um, heading into Christmas so there's some tough games there and and the expectation for Hanover is that they're going to get something out of at least a couple of those games. Probably, maybe they beat Regensburg, but um, you know the other three games against two of the top three, uh, and you're in bad form. That's a massive ask. And yeah, they were very poor. Kiel, very very good uh, in getting just just really putting the game out of reach very very quickly. Uh, and a team that is actually in really good form uh, and continues its upward trajectory into the top half is Karlsruhe. And they made it three wins on the bounce when they beat Paderborn a goal to nil. Uh, their one and only goal coming in the seventh minute. And it was scored by Daniel Gordon. The funny thing about that is at the start of the season, he was a free agent after, you know, kind of being let go or they just didn't renew his contract. They brought him in, back in and it, back in as defensive help and he started and he scored it was the one and only goal of the game um, Paderborn had a ton of the ball 62% possession but they couldn't break through there was an incident either um, which even with the video assistant referee this may have been missed as um, Ingelson was fouled by Mark Lorenz this wasn't looked at uh Eva, what was your impression on not only the game, but do you think the VAR missed a trick here? Because to me, anyway, it looked like a clear penalty. Yeah, 
uh, would totally agree with you um, concerning the penalty. I'm, I've seen it a couple of times now in the highlights, seen it live as well. Um, and I thought that you, I mean, he, Lorenz, is in the way of Ingelsen getting the ball. I mean, you can see it, especially in the close-up, that he has contact with Ingelsen's leg, and that's the reason why Ingelsen doesn't have a clear shot on target. Um, and for me, that's that's a clear penalty. Um, I mean, we always speak about, especially when it comes to to handballs, where does it stop? Where does it go from there? But the thing is that I've seen it a couple of, of times now, that those situations are being, they're much more clearer, but I don't know why, but some stage they're not being reviewed or they say it's, because basically what the VAR then said, it's not not a clear wrong decision if you don't give that penalty. And if as a VAR you're not completely sure, we have on-field review. And I don't get why then at least the referee didn't look at it again and then he would he had to give that penalty. Um, for me, that's quite clear, but okay. Um, yeah, and you've mentioned Daniel Gordon. Um, he ha- had actually the best chances for, for Karlsruhe. I think he had three out of four shots on target. And um, also Marius Gersberg in, in the Karlsruhe goal was was very, very good in my opinion. Um, I think Paderborn's biggest mistake or biggest missing was that they failed to put precision on their shots on goal. And that's kind of what we have, bef- what we talked about before they had that um, win streak. So um, maybe just a slightly bit worrying, but they, yeah, they were still quite good in that game, but they just um, failed to really put put any danger on their shots in that way. I think the the real dangerous shot came from from Prüger at the end of the second half. And uh, also, a funny note here, I spoke about um, when we talked about Heidenheim High's foul, that normally if you have under 200 passes completed, you're not really the team that is going to win. But here we had that again. Um, Karlsruhe, uh, 196 completed passes, Paderborn 418. So Paderborn had a passing accuracy of 82%, Karlsruhe only 65 uh, So we had two games this on this match day where the team that had significantly lesser passes was the team that actually got the win so thought that's quite an interesting fact because if you compare it to the Bundesliga it normally means you're the team that loses um so yeah really I'm do really like how Karlsruhe plays I I do think much more better side than they were last season and if they continue to to work like that they they won't even get in the first five but at least I think they can go a bit more yeah chill into the into the winter break which isn't really a break but yeah you know what I mean that's true um yeah it's another good win though for Karlsruhe who started the season off poorly slowly building it up um and they now sit eighth which has been a good return for them Paderborn it's you know it breaks their three game win streak uh, they just were a little bit toothless going forward, and you know that in the end of the day, 
Uh, it was really the difference between them getting a point and, and them losing. So on to the next one for them. Um, a team that we spoke about last week um, who had been relatively impressive and we were wondering whether they could respond after you know, their first bit of adversity is Osnabrück. And they travelled to St. Pauli. Now, this was a massive game for St. Pauli. They were sitting in the bottom two. Really needed to get back to winning ways. Osnabrück, whether, we were all wondering whether they could return to winning ways. And they did. Uh, their one, the one and only goal in this game coming through David Blacher. Uh, five minutes from time when Robin Himmelman's initial save went straight into the path of the Osnabrück player who put it into the wide open net. And I mean, it's that Osnabrück are back in the top five, St. Pauli remaining in the relegation zone. And and Lewis, this is a perfect time to actually talk about Osnabrück because it's a team that, you know, we've seen galvanize with uh, Marco Gruter as head coach. I guess, the, I guess there's two questions I want to ask you about this game and then your overall impressions about Osnabrück in general. You know, this was a game where Osnabrück didn't do a lot going forward. They had maybe one or two good chances, um, but this was a good show of resilience from them to 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 get the result. And what's your impression of them being so far this season? They've been gritty and and very much similar to the Tune mold, but I guess unlike Tune's team, they've started the season really well. Yeah, I think Osnabrück weren't really particularly impressive on Friday, which was maybe understandable considering they lost heavily on the Monday and it's a quick turnaround. I think it was important that they got the win. A bit lucky because St. Pauli were probably the better team and they did have some some good chances. Philip Kuhn, the Osnabrück keeper, did pretty well. He made a number of good saves. And then some of St. Pauli's finishing was just really poor. The the worst one was, I think, Benatelli, who got just outside the six-yard box and somehow it was going wide and it ended up getting blocked by a defender who wasn't even covering the goal and he really should have scored. Uh, Osnabrück, yeah, it wasn't the best performance, but they got the goal. Uh, overall, they have been pretty good. At the moment, they 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 do really miss Christian Santos, I think, who's um, been missing for the last few games. He was doing really well at the start of the season, and without him, they didn't really get forward much. Maybe the the defeat to um, Nuremberg took its toll a bit, and obviously it was a pretty poor performance on Monday. They weren't as bad uh, in St. Pauli, but they weren't particularly impressive. Get the win anyway, it's not so bad, and you know maybe they'll improve after that. But yeah, I think they've been doing well. It's not perfect, but a lot better than I expected, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, the vast majority of us had them pegged for the bottom three. Um, but they've, they've shown resilience, and we've seen the likes of Kirk in particular, having a very much resurgent season. Um, but yeah, a good result for them. For St. Pauli, um, yeah, this was a missed opportunity. They were the better team for the majority of the game. Um, and as Lewis mentioned, their finishing was absolutely atrocious. And it was the difference, really, um, in this game. 
Uh, a side note is that today, this being a Tuesday, St. Pauli have released their home, their in-house kit for next season. Uh, a lovely brown number with some uh, some pinstripes, and it looks quite tasty. It looks quite nice um, overall. It's a pretty good kit. We'll definitely have to share that on our uh, social, uh, Spider Bundesliga pod. So yeah, not not too bad kit. Um, much better than their performances uh, of recent memory. Let's take our final break, and on the other side, we are going to head to Darmstadt when they hosted Eintracht Braunschweig. Darmstadt's last couple of games have been one of concern, a lack of goals going forward and a ton being put in their own net. But on the weekend, they were on the road to redemption. They hosted Eintracht Braunschweig and they took them to task. Four goals to nil the final score. Two goal scorers in this one, Tobias Kemper, scoring both goals from the spot. He has four for the season. Serdar Dursun, also getting a brace. He has six. Dursun was involved in all four goals. Technically speaking, he won both penalties. And you wouldn't believe it. He was very, very upset that he didn't get to take either penalties. It's Kemper taking superiority. Um, Eva... We were very critical about the way Darmstadt went about it the last couple of weeks. They play a Braunschweig side, which is relatively inconsistent at the best of times defensively, um, and they really put the pressure on Braunschweig on the weekend. Yeah, I think um, the main reason why Braunschweig didn't get into this game at all was were the two only early goals. <laughs> Missing my uh, English here. Um no, but I, I was really impressed by Darmstadt's performance. Uh, if I correct here, I think it's their first home win this season. And um, I think a really good one kind of equaled uh, or equalized the, the result against Paderborn here. But yeah, um, I mean, Braunschweig wasn't good in that game at all. And it doesn't help if you um, then do kind of stupid mistakes as Dornebusch does. Although I, I do feel, feel them and I feel the Braunschweig fans because my my team did the same on the weekend. But um, yeah, and Zeta Dusan and Tobias Kemper were, were brilliant for Braunschweig. Had no idea whatsoever to get Dusan under control. I mean... If they at least try to go into into tackles with him, it resulted in a in a penalty twice. Um, and um, Darmstadt only won five tackles, which normally isn't really good if you want to win a game. But there was really no need to win more. Um, thought that Donabush was still not that bad in goal. Uh, there were two or three opportunities where he could show that he's a good goalkeeper. I think you could see in that game that um, Braunschweig does rely on the performance of Nick Poschwitz, for example. He did not have a single shot on goal, not only not on target, but not on goal in 90 minutes. Um, uh, yeah, In general, that was way too less. But, um, for example, here we have a game where the the team that, team that lost had under 200. They had 154 passes completed. Um in compared to that, Darmstadt had 717, um, which is a bit more, 
just tiny tiny bit um yeah but i i mean and then if you look at it um bunch get three corners and it didn't result in a shot on goal which is not really good i i mean that one single shot on on target i'm sorry uh that nine shots on goal one shot on target um and we spoke about that for a couple of teams now if you're not able if you see quite early in a game that you're not able to build up opportunities from your way of playing from the back um, with long balls, then use your um, set pieces, use your corners, even if it's only three. And um, they have people up front who are capable of uh, converting those corners or set pieces in general into goals. But they didn't in this game. And I thought, I mean, that that game could have easily ended like 6-0, 7-0. But I thought Damshire was kind of saving their energy in the second half. And they did it quite well. Yeah, when you have that much comfort, heaps of the ball. Again, not big on the possession stat being a real indicator of um, superiority. That's all about the scoreboard itself. But what they did do very very well in both cases after they got the initial goal uh, after they went 1-0 up and then once they went 3-0 up they immediately pressed the issue and you look for the second goal that becomes that comes from a defensive mistake um, and then the fourth goal is very much get another error leading to the penalty leading to the fourth goal and yeah that was that performance was very much the kind of anfang type situation that he's trying to bring into Darmstadt hasn't been perfect we we know that defensively they've been horrible in recent weeks but that that's exactly what they want have really dominant pressed intensely score lots of goals that is the Anfang way and that was a result that they very much needed a team that also needed a victory on the weekend was Jan Regensburg heading into this game they were They'd lost their last three games, and uh, they didn't do it particularly easy, um, but they got the win nonetheless. A 2-1 win over Würzburg Kickers. Uh, all the goals coming late in the second half. Uh, Jan Niklas Bester uh, opened the scoring, and then Sebastian Stolzer made it two. Hendrik Hansen got a goal back for Würzburg, but it was, uh, unfortunately for them, too little too late. Uh, but the incident that really swung the game in Regensburg's favour, potentially, uh, Lewis, was the red card to Nicholas Hoffman. First of all, do you think it was a red card offence? And, and how much do you think that changed the game? Or do you think Regensburg were already the better side in the game? Uh, yeah, I do think Regensburg were already the better team. But Würzburg were coming into it and that completely killed their momentum uh was it a red card i didn't think so at first um because what it looked like it was looked like hoffman had just uh thrown the yarn player not sure who it was to the ground but then there was one other angle where you could see what the referee presumably had seen that he maybe he didn't mean to do exactly that but he'd hit him in the face and yeah, I I didn't think so at first, but I, I don't have a problem with that being a red card. Uh, it still took a while for Jan to take advantage of it because uh, they only took the lead uh, quite late on. 
uh, in the 83rd minute. And it was two subs, uh, Benedict Salah and Jan Nicholas Bester, who are both fullbacks as well. Uh, and the Salah crossed it to Bester. And then Würzburg had to go for it. They left too many people forward. Stolzer added the second. Würzburg got one back, which was from a set piece. They weren't overly convincing Jan Regensburg, but they did have quite a lot of chances. They could have won more comfortably. I think Stolzer had one cleared off the line and Chalice Garner hit the crossbar. So it was a deserved win. Um, Würzburg weren't... I, I was hoping they might be a little bit better after winning uh, against Hanover and with their new coach, Bernard Torres, who's you know got a decent reputation and it looks like they might be all right. But yeah, they didn't played particularly well so Jan got a much needed win and it was a deserved win as well yeah massive for momentum because there was potentially maybe some concerns that Regensburg were very much falling into the trap of heading towards the relegation mm-hmm. zone and um, yeah they've, they've had a few mm-hmm. games where they have periods where they really you know, take the game on the scruff, by the scruff of the neck, and then they just there are other periods where they're just completely nowhere. And um, you know, they did it late, and and it was just a vital result for them, just just from a confidence standpoint, to break the rut, get things going, and um, yeah, kudos to them for a massive win on the weekend. Uh, that leaves us to our last game of match day nine. It was Sandhausen and Erzgebirge Hour. Now, we should point out we were aware um, that uh, Uwe Koshina had been sacked. Unfortunately, that was after we'd recorded and edited and released last week's episode. His replacement, uh, Mikhail Schieler, of course, the former Würzburger Kickers coach. And initially, it was the perfect start. Kevin Behrens opens the scoring from the spot 19 minutes in, and, and the Schieler era looks very nice. And they could have had another goal from the penalty, However, this time, Martin Mannell got the better of Berenson. Really, the pendulum swung after that as, as four consecutive goals for Erzgeberger. Auer, uh, Florian Kruger, a brace from Ben Zielinski, who was at Paderborn last season, and Pascal Testrot getting his fifth goal of the campaign, giving Auer all three points. And um, either you, you look at a lot of games, um, you know, that we, we talk about key moments and that penalty save from Martin Mantle who really is you know the heart and soul of that hour team that spurred them on to produce a really inspired you know uh, remainder of the game yeah um, and I have to say I'm not quite sure if it was Kevin Behrens best idea to to go on the spot for, for the second penalty as well because we always say that if you think of goalkeepers in the in the Zweite Bundesliga. Martin Menno is on top of that. Um, he's a he's a really really good goalkeeper, and he he has a lot of intelligence and in goal as well. So Behrens is a he's a good penalty. Um, yeah, he he can score quite well from the spot, but in that situation, might have been a good idea to let someone else especially that close together someone else shoot the penalty um 
football well I'm no football player so uh, I'll leave that to to him but yeah um, I was really impressed by our performance we always say that away from home they mostly don't show the same dominance that they do at home so uh, this game was very good very good by them um, and once again, Pascal Testrud, he it's probably one of his best Zweite Liga seasons so far. I mean, he he already has five goals. I don't remember when that was the last when that was the last time. So, um, really impressive performance by him. Once again, he had six shots on goal, Zulinski five. So at the moment, they have a very good variety of players up front that can score goals. I mean, it's Kruger, Zelinski, Testrud, uh, Jan Horschand as well. So a couple of players that really, really do it for, for hours. So um, might be a bit high that win in the end because, um, as you've mentioned, Stenthausen didn't, uh, wasn't that bad in the first half, but they just gave up the goals a bit too easy and I thought that compared to the rest of the season this was probably not Martin Freisen's best game. Yeah. I think at least one one goal against him he didn't look quite quite good and I think he only had like 33 percentage uh, save rate or something like that uh, percent sorry um so not his best game but that's okay because I think that's Sandhausen in many other games really have to to thank him that they got a point or that they didn't lose higher. And um, yeah, Sandhausen's defense in general isn't really good. Um, I thought that what they probably thought was with someone like Gio Contento, they would bring experience into the game, but um, especially in in the back. But he doesn't really play a huge role anymore because he is not on his best performance lately. Yeah, I mean, I guess you look at the, the that the momentum we were talking about, the Barons miss. I don't mind him taking, he scored the first one, so why not have a crack? I mean, it's just a really, such a good save by Manu. I think it, that's probably what you can't take away. You, you can take away from that is that it was an unbelievably great save. Um, but yeah, I guess it was a bit of a, so so afterwards that they just completely lost momentum um and that's a shame because uh, you know they looked solid early on um Sandhausen but then just yeah our just dominant dominant performance in the end and um I will say this though I can guarantee that Mikhail Schiele would have penciled in once he knew he was getting the Sandhausen job uh who their next opponent is they play Würzburger kickers and you know uh, that will be a game he will desperately want to win. That's the end of the episode. Uh, another one in the books for the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Uh, big thank you to Lewis Ostrovsky for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, uh, enjoyed it. So thanks for having me on. It is our pleasure. Eva, as always, thank you for being my wonderful co-host. Yeah, thanks for being here and uh, thanks, Luis, um, for joining us today. That was um, a very good episode. So thanks, guys. Yep. And uh, until next time, we'll see you next week to, to do it all again when we review Match Day 10. We hope you have a safe weekend and it's goodbye. Mm-hmm.